Hello everyone, I'm Harrydon Lop and I'm Learning and Access Curator here at the St Mungo Museum of Religious Life and Art. I'm your host of the Glasgow Museum's podcast and this is a first episode of our new series of podcasts. I hope you tune into the exciting and varied programme of topics and speakers we have in store, pardon the pun, for you over the next few months. Today I'm joined by artist and former forensic technician Mr. Robert McNeil. Robert, it's an enormous pleasure to have you with us today. Um, We're recording this podcast in the surroundings of St Mungo. Robert, can you please tell us how you happen to have three of your paintings displayed here in the galleries? Well, um, four years ago I had an exhibition called Witness in the Mitchell Library um, of paintings that... um, uh, that I did after retired, reflecting some of the forensic work that I did in Bosnia and Kosovo, and um, and uh, it was very successful from the point of view of exposure to the public, and uh, ended up in the Scottish Parliament, uh, and so um, Glasgow Museums, uh, including St Mungo's and Kelvin Grove, uh, got in touch with me to come to my home and have a look at some of the paintings and. Um, and they seemed interested and uh, acquired three of the, the paintings along with the narratives that go along with each of the paintings and um, I'm extremely grateful for them doing that. So you mentioned um, your work in Bosnia. Um, can you tell me how you found yourself um, in Bosnia? Yes, um, for 30 years, in, uh, in 1995, I had worked in Glasgow in pathology departments um, and ended up being the mortuary operations manager for all of the mortuaries in Glasgow. And um, so I had close contact working with pathologists and other uh, forensic scientists. Um, and that basically was my background until I was contacted by the UN in 1995 following the genocide in Rwanda Um, and they asked me to volunteer to go out there and recover some of the the million or so victims of that horror Um, and I was just about ready to to leave for Kigali when I received a call saying uh, that the UN had discovered um, what looked like mass graves in Bosnia uh, around the Srebrenica area um, and I was diverted out there uh, in early 1996 and um, uh, and I was so taken aback by what I witnessed out there um, I returned every year for eight years following that. Robert, I want to go back to um, some of the works that are on display here because the two of them in particular um, relate to um, your time in Bosnia. Can you share um, with our listeners the the significance of um, the work, the pastel, I think it is, um, Srebrenica Woman? Yeah, yeah. Um, When we encountered the first of the mass graves, um, all of the forensic specialists all of whom had vast experience in dealing with the dead, but nothing like on the scale. And um, I think the feeling was that we just had to get those bodies out of those hellish places and um, and try and clean them up and examine them and be able to give them back to their loved ones ultimately. And part of my job was to um, remove the clothing from the victims 
cleaned, it, cleaned them up, um, looking for any identifying features. And then um, once a month, we invited the local families who were waiting on news as to whether their loved ones were still alive or in fact had died. And so we invited um, mainly women um, because the majority of the victims in Srebrenica were men, over 8,000 of them, to come along and try and, uh, and look at the clothing to see if they could recognise them as belonging to their loved ones. And that couldn't, we couldn't um, rely totally on the clothing as identifying the body because the, cloth, the clothing could have belonged to anyone really, but certainly for the families who knew very well the clothing that uh, belonged to their men because those people had been under siege for up to four years and the women had constantly repaired them, they were able to recognise very clearly the belongings of their loved ones. and. Um, those days were particularly difficult for the, the, the forensic team because on an ordinary day we were just dealing with a scientific procedure and gathering evidence uh, for the International Criminal Tribunal against the perpetrators but um, when the women came to look at the clothing and their responses when they recognised an item of clothing, bearing in mind that they were praying that that they wouldn't be able to recognise them in the hope of that course. the men may still be alive. Um, and it was extremely emotional, as you can imagine, when they, they, they discovered um, that, uh, that, that they recognised clothing. And I tried to reflect that in at least one of the paintings uh, that's in St Mungo's, uh, just the sheer raw emotion from the, from the families. And that... Um, uh, on a lesser scale, it did affect the morale of the team, who um, who, who also were quite moved by this. But it, it helped us focus on why we were working there and what we were doing and hoping to achieve, which was to be able to ultimately give the families back their loved ones. That brings me on to the second work um, that I want to refer to, Robert, and that is the work Subjugation. Um, that's a very, very, very powerful oil. It's in the small gallery facing onto the, the large cast bronze image of Shiva Nataraja. And there's been lots of comments from our visitors who are very moved um, by the story behind um, this work. And again, it, re it relates to clothing, but it re relates to another um, aspect of the Yugoslav um, wars. And that um, this, I understand, came from Kosovo. Could you just tell us a bit more about the subjugation painting, please? Yes. Um, in 1999, uh, President Milosevic started his fourth war in the Balkans uh, in an attempt to hang on to power, and that was in Kosovo. Um, and so in, uh, the British Foreign Office asked me to go out there just as the, um, as the Serbs were retreating back to uh, Serbia. Um, and it was very similar to the work that we did in Bosnia, except on a much smaller scale. The, the mass graves that we found um, contained not hundreds of victims, um, but families, maybe up to eight or ten uh, at, at maximum. And the families came along um, uh, uh, to those graves because it was they who uh, took us to the graves to, to, in order that they knew that we were able, if we were able to gather evidence against the perpetrators, that would help them. 
But similarly, we had um, clothing days uh, for those families that, that weren't uh, around at the, the gravesite. Um, and this particular um, painting, um, the narrative is basically a woman arrived. I had just washed the, this jumper that was hanging on a rail to dry when she recognised it as belonging to her husband, who was an academic in Pristina University. And um, she explained to us that her husband, she could never get him to take that jumper off. He was so proud of it because it was gifted to him by the World Wildlife Fund because of the work he did saving animals. And I found it ironic that there it was washed and hung up to dry. And um, she asked, to have this jumper to take it home with her and because it was evidence we were reluctant to do so but because she was so upset we just said yes take it home um, and she did and um, we wondered later whether when seeing the entry site of a bullet um, just above his heart and the exit site in his lower back which indicated to us um, that he was probably on his knees, either in prayer or, or, by, or by force. And what also occurred to me about that painting was the way it was hanging it, uh, it had a kind of religious uh, appearance to me and almost like um, Jesus on the cross, I guess, and, um, uh, and I found that um, that was how I wanted to portray the, the, the jumper in that position to highlight um, the horrors that happened in that part of the world. And that actually brings me on to the, the third of your works that's on display here, because you talk about the works reflecting the kind of evidence, the forensic evidence, um, about the, the, the manner of, of, of torture and death um, that some of these um, terrible people um, suffered. So could you share with us um, the, the, the story behind what is quite a graphic work on display here in the Life Gallery, and that's Witness. Yes, Witness was the, um, to me, the main painting in the Witness exhibition because it um, it depicts a man wearing a blindfold uh, and the man had been badly beaten. Uh, there's, there's evidence of that. Uh, and that reminded me of, um, of the first mass grave that we visited. We noticed that men had... Um, uh, when shot were wearing blindfolds and had their hands tied behind their backs with with coat hanger wire of all things and and they had tightened um, the, the, the executors had tightened the wire so tightly that it's cut through to the bone when we discovered the men and it, it must have been excruciating and the reason that the men were blindfolded was because the, the Serbs um, packed the men who they'd um, uh, who they had arrested um, in Srebrenica um, into buses and took them to the killing fields, uh, and one of which was a football field, where the men were packed into or herded into groups and taken five at a time and executed. And so, the reason for the blindfolds um, was, in the Serbs' view, to try and keep the men quiet, um, because if they saw what was in front of them they might cause disruption. It might disrupt the killing, which um, you know, over 8,000 men were, were, were murdered over a three-day period, which is quite a, 
a, quite an incredible achievement for want of a better description. And so they wanted to, to, um, to kill these men as quickly as possible and put them into the mass graves that we discovered. And um, the, the pose of the, the, this man in the witness painting is as if he's looking out at the viewer, um, although he's wearing a blindfold. And that, um, for me anyway, I was trying to show that although there were very few, if any, witnesses to these killings, um, that the, this man's body was the witness. In other words, that his body would reveal to us what had happened to him. In other words, um, he was given a voice, basically, that he thought he would, he probably didn't think of it, but that be, the, the Serbs thought he would never had because his body was the evidence that we needed to in, or, in order to put the perpetrators behind bars, some of them for the rest of their lives. I understand, Robert, that um, at the ICMT, the International ICTY, Criminal, ICTY, yeah. the International Criminal Tribunal for Yugoslavia, um, actually had another different version um, of why um, the victims had their arms um, uh, wired up and uh, banged, that their eyes, that, that, you know, their eyes guarded and stuff, but bandaged. What was the reasons that they gave again? Well, Radovan Karadic, who was the um, the Bosnian Serb political leader, uh, was on trial for genocide in The Hague, um, and he decided to sack his lawyers and um, defend himself. He was quite an arrogant man. Um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I was an observer uh, in, at his trial, and um, I um, I found it ironic that in his defence regarding the blindfolds, he claimed that those men and boys who were murdered were in fact soldiers, Bosnian soldiers, um, who had been wearing headbands, but the headbands had slipped over their eyes. Um, and they weren't blindfolds at all and when the prosecution asked him well how did they have their hands tied behind their backs uh, he didn't have an answer for that and withdrew Robert can you share with our um, listeners why you started painting these scenes um, and about your background as an artist well before I became involved in um, pathology uh, I had an ambition to attend art school and this was back in the 60s when um, the so-called student revolution began and um, so I, I was down in London uh, with my portfolio uh, and just as I was walking towards the art school I'd hoped to join students were walking out and um, we then became involved in the cultural revolution of the 60s Demonstrating against the wars in Vietnam and so many other, um, so many other events in the world, and uh, and after that, after two or three years of, of that, uh, I found myself in need of a job, and um, so I got a job as a curator in the pathology museum in in Glasgow University, and um, and so. Um, having done that for, for, for 40 odd years before I retired uh, on my retirement my wife was quite concerned about the fact that suddenly I started to have quite bad <laughs> dreams and, um, and, and I now realise uh, that, that it was a mild form of post-traumatic stress basically sure. and after as I say 40 years in dealing with the death it was as if 
um, some of the images that we've seen uh, during our time in the Balkans had been closed in our minds, but the store started to creep open. And um, I have to say, it didn't bother me so much because uh, having had bad dreams, I always woke up being so relieved that um, that they were just dreams and that the the the, the cause of these dreams or the images um, were were nothing compared to what the victims uh, had had witnessed themselves and suffered from. So, however, um, because I'm interested in art, my wife bought me a, an easel as a retirement present, and I, I thought I would teach myself um, what I couldn't uh, learn um, by not going to art school. And um, so I started painting, but I was somehow drawn towards these images that that kept uh, appearing in those dreams and. Uh, and I decided that I would start painting them, and it, as therapy for me, it was it was brilliant, really. I, I don't think it was a coincidence that by learning how to paint, um, I became focused on that rather than the background to the um, to, to the images, and gradually the the dream stopped. I still occasionally have them, but but nothing like uh, that they, they were before, and. Uh, and so uh, I just then decided that I would try and work through these images and ended up with 12 paintings that, uh, that formed the Witness Exhibition. Robert, you're also a, a board member of Remembrance Srebrenica Scotland. Um, how important uh, is that role for you? Well, when I retired, like all of the people who worked in, uh, 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 do, uh, who does the, this work, does so having to sign, for example, the Official Secrets Act and um, confidentiality because of the court cases was implicit. Um, and so we learn never to talk about our work and, um, and that was really predominant in my mind for many years. However, um, for 20 years after my first deployment um, and doing those paintings, I, I felt that um, I, I, th those paintings, I should say, were never really intended to be seen by anyone. They were just for me. In fact, um, as you'll have seen, they're not pretty pictures, and I didn't think anyone would be interested in them. And um, but following the exhibition, uh, I realised that um, this was something that might help other people understand what happened uh, in in Bosnia, in particular. Um, and so I was invited by Remembering Srebrenica UK to uh, go back out to, uh, to, to Bosnia in 2015 and, um, and that was a, a, a cathartic moment for me because I returned to Srebrenica to where they have the most beautiful uh, memorial there where up to six and a half thousand of the bodies, many of, uh, of those that I and the team uh, worked on and find them in this beautiful place uh, where the families could visit them uh, was was quite a, a, an emotional moment for me Not and sure. I, um, shortly after that Remembering Srebrenica was formed by um, the very Reverend Lorna Hood who had gone out on a similar visit um, and I was invited to join the board and that's given me a great opportunity to uh, represent the charity in schools and colleges and um, prisons and and of course in 
uh, St Mungo's um, uh, just to try and talk about uh, my experience and I've been quite successful in contacting other former colleagues to do the same and they've reported back to me that it's helped them uh, to be able to talk about it without in any way compromising trials because the, the, there are trials still going on to this day, there are many appeals have still to be heard and so we have to be very careful about what we say but uh, I talk about my personal experiences and not making any judgments about about really uh, any of the perpetrators. So next year is the 25th anniversary of the Srebrenica massacre, July of July in 1995. What's the significance of this anniversary for you, Robert? Yes, next year is the 25th anniversary of Srebrenica, and that will be um, quite a massive media event, not just in Scotland, but throughout the world, because so many Bosnians were able to escape the conflict there and are now living and working uh, uh, throughout the world and I, I, I do get contacts from some of the Bosnians who, who are aware of the work that I've been doing and so so governments and um, museums and uh, schools throughout the world will be commemorating this event and um, I'm very pleased to say that I'm part of the planning for the, uh, the memorials in Scotland. But one of the most important sides of the commemorations is um, that remembering Srebrenica of Scotland are so grateful to uh, in particular Kelvin Grove Museum where they have um, given us um, a three month um, <coughs> use of their community gallery um, and in there we'll be showing artefacts and other, um, uh, other materials relating to the war most of those materials are small personal items um, belonging to Bosnians who themselves were either suffered one of the sieges that took place there or those who suffered in the concentration camps. Um, and so I feel very humbled to, to be making contact with those people <coughs> who have been very generous in offering small items that are very precious to them to be shown to the public and the third strand of, of the commemorations is an exhibition of new paintings, 12 new paintings that I've been working on for the last two or three years uh, that will be shown in the IOTA gallery nearby Kelvin Grove uh, and that will be running round about the same time as the, the commemorations here so it's a uh, it's a, a, a big event, really, uh, and an important event because, as you know, um, the genocide that happened uh, in Bosnia was the first in Europe after the Holocaust, and uh, and I find when I um, when I go and to talk to people about Bosnia, many of them have never heard of Bosnia, let alone Srebrenica, and I think. Um, that it's important that people learn about what happened there and remember it. You mentioned the Holocaust and um, I'd like to share with our listeners that in fact just last week I was with Robert and other museum colleagues in the city of Nuremberg which of course is one of Glasgow's um, twin cities and um, Robert you um, gave a talk um, in courtroom 600 
um, and uh, which was used in fact for the Nuremberg trials, um, where the Nazi, the leading Nazi figures were tried um, after the war. Um, can you talk about um, the, how you felt um, giving a talk about your work in that very courtroom? Yes. Um, well, I was aware of the use of that courtroom, obviously, before um, I was invited out there. And um, again, I'd like to thank um, Glasgow Museums for the invite to Nuremberg as part of your delegation. Um, and in addition to the curators in the War Crimes Memorial out there for inviting me to speak. And um, it was, for me, quite daunting uh, given the history of that place because uh, I, I, I was born shortly after the Second World War and as a small boy would go to the cinema um, and every interval you would see news from Pathy news footage of the camps being liberated and the trials that went on in that very courtroom so uh, I, I have memories of that uh, as a child that when I saw that the courtroom was virtually exactly the same as it was back in the 40s and 50s, uh, and that trials were still going on to this day, um, uh, as I say, I was quite daunted by it. But with regards to my talk, I decided to try um, and forget the history of that iconic place before I went into the um, in to give my my, my pre or deliver my presentation. Um, but there, there was a moment about halfway through when someone asked me a, a question that um, I, I started to relax a wee bit and suddenly the, the impact of where I was standing, which was just in front of the eight ju the international judges, um, the, just the, 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 the sense of history really uh, moved me. Um, and so it, it, it was a, 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 a really momentous event for me and, uh, and such a, a great honour to speak in that place because, um, especially because, as I understand it, uh, the courtroom itself, which, as I said, has been functioning as a normal court, uh, is soon to be uh, handed over to the War Crimes Museum um, as part of their plans for extending the museum. Um, and from the point of view of, of uh, getting the message about Srebrenica across to an audience wasn't lost on me, nor was it lost on the curator who I had a discussion with about their plans for the future um, and I'm extremely pleased to say that they strongly believe that Srebrenica should not be forgotten. Um, and they will um, take this into consideration when they, uh, wh when they extend their museum. Indeed, I've already started making plans for a meeting between the curator and the International Criminal Tribunal, who also, for the first time ever, are considering releasing information uh, uh, about the evidence that we helped gather um, during the 90s uh, that could be incorporated into the new section uh, of their, their iconic war crimes museum because I understand that that museum attracts many hundreds of thousands of visitors every year, uh, ostensibly of course to see where the 
Holocaust, uh, the Nazi war crimes were tried, but it's important, as I've said, that uh, Srebrenica uh, is not forgotten, and um, so I feel very pleased that, um, that, that that's going to happen in the future. So Robert, I was with you um, when we went, first visited the memoriam to have um, a guided tour and to meet some of the learning staff there. And um, we were a bit disappointed, first of all, that we couldn't get into courtroom 600 because, of course, um, as you say, it's an active court and there was a, a hearing going on at that very time. Um, but we later on heard um, your wonderful talk in the courtroom later on, um, on the Thursday evening when you gave your talk. But after we visited the Morium, memorium, um, we were taken to an incredible um, piece of um, public sculpture which is called The Way of Human Rights. Can you share what that was like and what The Way of Human Rights is about? Well, I have to confess that I had no idea that this memorial existed in Nuremberg. And um, I, I think it's quite poignant that it exists side by side, the museum and galleries, the National Museum there, which we visited. And uh, I think that the... the 27 articles given that they're all in different languages and it's such a beautiful and imposing site um, and I was particularly touched by uh, one of the 27 columns had didn't have a column, a concrete column, it was in fact a tree and the, the artist felt that he didn't want this to be a dead um, memorial and so we wanted to plant something living there and uh, that, that was quite touching I felt. But overall um, I, I would just like to say how impressed I was with your colleagues and yourself. Uh, joining the, that delegation uh, was the main intention was to give my, deliver my presentation in the courtroom but uh, I, I was pleased to join you and the others um, in conversations and discussions with other learning staff in Nuremberg and what impressed me was that the similarity between the work that you do here in Scotland um, and that they do in Nuremberg. There was, uh, I noticed there was a lot of nodding of heads and agreement so it, it just, I was just struck by the fact that whilst you were swapping ideas it was mutual in that they were just as impressed by what your delegates had to offer as you were with what they had to say. And um, there were some um, parts of the, 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 my observations that I found extraordinarily moving, such as the, um, in the National Museum, the, the cards that have, uh, where children are invited to nominate they're big heroes, they're little heroes, and they're non-heroes, and it was really interesting reading some of that. But that was just one aspect of overall, which was um, an, ex an extraordinarily well-organised, and um, for me, as I say, as a pure observer, uh, a revelation to see the work that goes on uh, in Scottish museums, as well as is happening uh, you know, throughout Europe and no doubt throughout the world, so it's, um, it's congratulations to those people as well, I think. Well as ever, Robert, it's a pleasure talking to you. Um, it's always an honour um, listening to your stories. 
um, and it was a great pleasure to be with, to be with you in Nuremberg and also um, for you to be part of our learning programme, for example, Holocaust Memorial Day, which we have as a, a kind of highlight of our year. You will be delivering one of the workshops with P7 um, pupils. Um, and I think this year, actually, one of our guest speakers next year will, will be um, a Bosnian survivor. Yes. Um, which I think, given um, the fact that next year is the 25th anniversary, I think that will be um, very poignant having somebody here um, to talk about their experiences. So thank you, Robert, for, for being with us. That's all we have time for today on the Glasgow Museums podcast. Please remember to check us out on all our social media channels if you haven't already done so. Um, you can also use the hashtag GMPodcast to keep this conversation going. And also, if you like what you've heard today, you can follow us right here on SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. You can also now get the, ep- se- the Season 1 episodes on Apple, so please like and subscribe. Until next time, I've been Harry Dunlop, and this has been the Glasgow Museums Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Till next time.